Hour number two of the David Glenn Show lifting off here on a Thursday. Dave Nathan in for DG. It's our annual Voices of Carolina edition of the DG Show. When the offer to come on and do this was proffered by Darren Vaught, he gave me three dates to choose from. And the procrastinator that I am, I took the last date possible on the calendar. We could have done this weeks ago, right, Darren? But August the 15th was the day that I decided it had to be to give me the most amount of time to prepare. You are the next to last show of a two-week stretch in the Voices of North Carolina tour. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the guy that comes next is the newbie on the block, right, to talk to Charlotte Hornets tomorrow? Yeah, I think he's the only guy in this stretch that had not previously hosted one of these shows. John Fokey, the yeah. new radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets. Well, DG is taking a, a vacation at uh, a time in the schedule. I guess he's got to take it, right, because when football starts over again, there's just not a chance to do these types of things. And ordinarily, it could be in June, might be in July. As I often tell folks that, that I see around, I get my vacations in in July because it's the only month on the calendar, at least the way it falls this year, where there's not a game that I'd be working, whether it's football, which starts in August this year, basketball stretches a wide swath of the calendar, and then baseball fortunately took us into June this season. July is the only month on the calendar where there is not a game that I had to work. And believe me you, I didn't take the type of vacation that DG's on right now I took some vacations now. I saw a lot. And all of a sudden, now it's time to crank it back up. So, in terms of cranking things back up, what do you say we start things off here in hour number two with uh, one of the all-time greats in Carolina basketball history? Helped lead the Tar Heels to a Final Four in 1995. Played in, I think, one of the all-time classic Duke-Carolina games also in uh, 1995, a game that the Tar Heels won by two points in double overtime and uh, has now taken all that he's learned from both the college game and the pro game and is uh, assuming the role as the head coach at uh, Vanderbilt. Let's say hello to Jerry Stackhouse. Coach Roy Williams said a few years back that uh, he'd go to Kinston, North Carolina to take a look at a player before he went to New York City. As uh, a player who grew up in Kinston, back in the 80s and 90s did you have any idea that you were in as good of a basketball hotbed as there is in the country no no i knew there was a lot of talent uh even when i was growing up it was competitive right locally right in the neighborhoods it was guys that could could really play the game you know whether they kind of went in a different path for whatever reasons but you know we used to have some heated battles right there so that that, that surprised me at all I seem to remember most of your recruitment revolving around this state, but with Coach Williams somewhat early on in his tenure at Kansas, did your path with Coach Williams' path cross ways at all during your high school days? Not, not a ton. I mean, I think it was – you knew that he would come from the Carolina tree, and with Kansas, obviously, they did what they had to do to show some initial interest, but I just thought out of respect for Coach Smith and me being an uh, you know, in-state product that – you know, they didn't really come at me really, really hard. And, uh, but, you know, it was kind of – I was an ACC guy. I just felt like I grew up watching ACC basketball and fell in love with it and, and really didn't entertain going outside of ACC to, to, to play college basketball at all. On the subject of Coach Smith, having been a part of some of his final teams in Chapel Hill, here we are almost a quarter century or so later. Does it surprise you at all the coaching tree that has spanned this last quarter century with, with yourself certainly among those ranks now at Vanderbilt? Well, no, I just think it's to understand the guys that 
that come through the program that they, they're learning about the game, not you know, just your athleticism and being able to jump over everybody, which we had a, quite a few guys that could do that as well. But I think understanding how the game should be played, how to share the floor with other good players, uh, it really does surprise me that more guys have uh, gone down the path of wanting to teach the game, you know, simply from you know what we want to share, what we were able to acquire from Coach Smith, you know, other good coaches that we may have played for in the pros, but definitely the foundation of all of that, the teaching, and, and being close to the game definitely comes from Coach Smith. Jerry Stackhouse, former Carolina basketball player, currently the head coach at Vanderbilt, our guest on this Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. So, Coach Stackhouse, let me ask you this. For all the lessons that you learned from Coach Smith through the recruiting process in your two years in Chapel Hill, which ones are as true today as they were back in, say, 1994, 1995? I think it's all about relationships, you know, getting, being able to start relationships and for people to feel comfortable allowing their child to come and, and spend the next you know, four years at, at your at your college and learning from you and being around the the, the men and, and women that are going to help shape their lives. I think it's still the same. You know, we just really felt good about, you know, Coach Ford and, and Angela Lee and, and Miss Woods, you know, they just they made it a special place. Not only when we were there in class or when we were on on the court, but when we walked in that office, we felt like the ladies there um, cared about us. And I think that that's the same type of environment that I want to try to foster at you know at Vanderbilt. Not just to have great basketball coaches, um, but to have great people that will help you know help shape these young people. And obviously, being at Vanderbilt at such a you know high academic institution that you know, we we getting we get a special kid anyway. We get a kid that not only being competitive on the court, but you know he's used to being competitive in the classroom as well. So we we look at that as a plus and not a not a knock as some people try to. On the subject of relationships and Vanderbilt, Malcolm Turner, the AD in Nashville, is a Carolina graduate. Are you in the position that you're in right now without your boss having gone to school at Chapel Hill? No, I don't even think I would want to be in this position right now if my boss isn't going to Chapel Hill. I, I like the college college game wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I was in the pros. Uh, my trajectory was going in a, in, in a good pattern toward where I you know, wanted to go, you know, from you know, coaching pros and, you know, leaving. I can go to work for two or three hours, and I leave, and I don't have to deal with them again until tomorrow at, at 11. But I, I come from – a grassroots background where I'm used to dealing with young people and being able to, uh, you know, get, get gratitude out of impacting their lives at that age. So it just came first full circle. And, and I, I believe that you were you're supposed to be for a reason. And Malcolm got that job for a reason. And, and he sought to bring me in and, and, and have me be the, the shepherd of this, you know, program for a reason. And I'm, I want to do the best I can to make, make him look good and to make uh, my family and, and, and Coach Smith and all the other coaches that have, you know, kind of shared something into my coaching philosophy, try to make those people proud. Jerry Stackhouse, our guest here on this Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Coach, you said it's about relationships, but it's also about recruiting. And, and the time that you've been in the mid-state, what is the recruiting pitch to come play basketball at a place like Vanderbilt? Again, it's the relationships that I get. You got to be able to, uh, you know, have these guys feel comfortable. Not only just about the basketball, the next and those, 
but again, they uh, they want to understand how it is you're going to help develop them off the court. So I think that's part of the recruitment and and is being able to show that we have the people to to support them and, and help them become. You know, as they transition, everybody's not going to play in, in, in the professional leagues. All of them all think they are. They're not. So you got to be able to try to have those conversations, those tough conversations about what it needs to look like, how to become professionals, um, not only in, in the field of, of, of sports, but in, in the real world. So, I, but, but recruiting, being able to, to get out and, and see the, the players, again, I, it's not the, for me, it's a little bit different. I can't just walk into a gym and say, okay, that kid right there reminds me of me. I want him. You know, he may not necessarily qualify. I may not be able to get him in school. So there are, there are some challenges there, but we approach it from kind of the backside. We identify the the guys that um, that are our high academic kids and can play basketball at a high level, and those are the ones that we, we, we target. It maybe shortens our pool a little bit, but I think the the quality of a person and, and, and player that we get is, is – is above, you know, second and none. Now, let's be honest. As a former national player of the year, there can't be that many kids walking around right now that remind you of yourself, right? There's hey, not man, that many a, great ones. It's, it's, a, it's one shot blocker that I like. <laughs> <laughs> you know I can't say his name, but it's, it's, it's but I'm on him because, again, you know, you see the com- com- competitors. That's what I'm really looking for. It doesn't have to be a five-star or four-star as whoever whatever is projected but you can you can tell the guys that that really get out there and compete and and that's what we want to try to hang our hat on and try to build our program with guys that have that type of mentality to go out and lay it on the line and say all right i'm gonna gonna play my hardest play the best that i can play the smartest i can and, and we can live with the results from there that's Jerry Stackhouse talking some round ball with us here on the David Glenn Show. Jerry, when you do walk into these gyms or if you're just walking around town these days, are you more recognized as the guy that played at Carolina, as a former pro basketball player, as the current coach of Vanderbilt? When people see you, what do you think immediately connects with them? Well, I think probably, you know, it's been a long time since I've been at Carolina, but a lot of people remember those times. You know, so I think even... I mean, you have your certain amount of fans. You have your pro fans and you have your college basketball fans. And college basketball fans seem like they're everywhere. Um, you know, the pro fans, you know, okay, they kind of lose track of you if you're not on this particular team. But I guess I get a healthy mix of it all, you know. And, and now it's, it's coach. Like you said, I mean, it's still a little, uh, you know, a little funny to, to, to hear because if you played so long but now when you – know, but now I'm starting to every time somebody say coach, even if they're not talking to me, I'm turning my head. So, <laughs> so I, I guess I'm getting used to it. But um, no, it's it's great, man, to be able to be appreciated for um, my success on the basketball court and now my success you know, of being able to to teach the game as well. So I'm looking forward to um, you know getting these guys. Our guys are working extremely hard, man, and they you know had a great summer in the classroom and and you know and on the court. So I'm I'm looking to to do some really good things. Obviously, we were in a tough season last year, but we kind of got that behind us and just looking, you know, with a fresh start and trying to, trying to see what we can build. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about your playing days, certainly coinciding with the explosion of college basketball on TV and now coaching at Vanderbilt. My uncle tells me, Jerry, that there's like 100 people a day moving 
into that part of the state. Yeah. And, and it feels almost like a pro city now with the way that it's exploded. H how much of the feel of the city and it kind of being the it city right now in the country uh, drew you to it and is now a driving factor in you drawing kids to it? Man, honestly, I had none. I mean, I, I really had spent a lot of time in Nashville. I was there probably 10, 11 years ago when I took my son for a, a camp, uh, you know, just a, for a football camp. He was there for a football camp. So that's the only time I ever really spent a lot of time in Nashville. But it's such a buzz there. I mean, it's electric. Like I said, there, there are cranes everywhere as, as, as fast as it's growing. It's still um, buildings are going up. Uh, so it, it's a great city. And like I said, it's kind of like a, a pro city, but we're the only basketball show in town. You got hockey. You got uh, National Football League. You got everything. But basketball-wise, we're pretty much the show in town. So it's, it's, it's uh, pretty pretty. Pretty exciting, man. Like I said, you get a lot of the, the reviews from the colleges, and they talk about some of the best cities to live in, the best college towns, the, the happiest students, and it happened to point to to Vanderbilt and Nashville. So, so you know, we got we got some some material for the recruits for sure. Well, it's a great place, and there's no doubt about it. We're hoping that uh, that you make it even better than it is. Having started this conversation on playing basketball in Kinston, and wrapping things up now with talk of the NFL and hockey. Jerry, if basketball wasn't your ticket, was there a second sport that you thought you might have been pretty good at if you focused that way? Yeah, I, I consider baseball, but I was really good at I mean, football. I think I would have been a tight end. You know, pretty. You know, when I look at you know, you know, Gates and those guys, and I was like, yeah, man, I could. That could have been my calling if I'd have went that route. I actually played football all the way up until uh, high school, and I went out for the football team my freshman year. And when I got home, my principal, the athletic director, my basketball coach, all was sitting in my living room, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to convince my mom and dad not to make sure I didn't play <laughs> football. So uh, safe to say they, they they got to me, and I'm, I'm glad they did. It, it worked out well for me to go in another direction. So that's one of the many differences between you and me, coach, is that when the athletic director and the principal and the football coach were sitting in my house, it meant that I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was scared now. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, what did I do? I had to think about it. But it was safe this time. That's Jerry Stackhouse with us here on this Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Let me tell you, when the room is stacked against you like that with school administrators and parents and coaches, those were scary times back in high school, knowing that you've probably done something wrong. But uh, in Jerry's case, the only thing he did wrong was go out for the football team. And I, I would say this in, in defense of Jerry Stackhouse's football career, he was probably born about 10 years too early to have had a legitimate chance to, to play football, given how some of these basketball players have turned into tight ends or receivers or what have you to go and have long careers, man. Darren, could you imagine number 42 lining up just off a right tackle and running a pattern down the field, and it's Jerry Stackhouse that you're trying to defend? No, that's a lot of length and athleticism. Just uh, go up and get it, Jerry. Just yeah. go up and get it. Yep. I can't imagine. Man, it's always interesting. There's an old line out there. All the, all the musicians wish they were athletes, and the athletes wish they were rock stars. I've actually gotten this down now to a point where you can ask a football player, if you weren't playing on offense, what kind of defensive player would you have been? And Eric Ebron has told me that he, he could have been a pretty good defensive end in his days if he wasn't a tight end. Now, fortunately for Eric, coming off the season he just had, tight end is working out pretty well for him. But I just love hearing these stories 
of these athletes who excelled obviously in one sport. And for Jerry Stackhouse, it was basketball. But if it wasn't, which way could you have gone? Because with that amount of talent, I'm just guessing, here, take whatever ball or take whatever sports apparatus you need and go be good at it. And Jerry Stackhouse said he might have been a pretty good tight end in football. We can imagine here on this Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. We'll uh, talk a little football with Phil Longo coming up. And then Anson Dorrance at the bottom of the hour before we wrap up hour number two. Dave Nathan in for DG. It's our Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. It's the Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Dave Nathan in for DG on this Thursday, August 15th, 2019. And again, our thanks to Jerry Stackhouse joining us from the Music City, but talking Carolina basketball with us. And he is, I would say, our second basketball guest. We talked to Eric Montross in the early stages of hour number one. We talked all things with Bubba Cunningham a little less than an hour ago, and also some football with Cade Fortin, Jace Reuter, and Sam Howell, Carolina's three quarterbacks. And it's those three that Phil Longo is trying to figure out which one's our guy to take the first snap on the 31st against South Carolina in Charlotte. Either way, a quarterback will have little experience. Fortin and Reuter played sparingly last year. Howell is a true freshman, but all three apparently have shown enough prowess to, uh, to be able at least to head things up this year. For Carolina again it's still anybody's guess which one of those three is tabbed the guy but Phil Longo speaking earlier this week uh, told us in in a few terms at least what this quarterback race has been like you know what I to be honest with you I would have hoped maybe we're starting to have a little bit of a pecking order but they're competing their tails off right now so we've got a we've got a three-man race for the key spot and that's why you see everybody getting even reps and uh, I, I like where we are in in day 10 progress wise with all three quarters Despite the fact that Fortin and Reuter were on campus last year, it's a different staff this year, and you wonder if that levels the competition at least for Sam Howell in terms of how the offense has been installed. We put the package in, we put the offense in, the system in the first four days. You're never good at it the first four days, so we reinstall it. So it's kind of a second phase. So days five through eight, we reinstalled it. And those are the four days where you get to go back and make the corrections, rehash, polish. And so from practice nine on, we're working on situational offense and we're working on our game plans for the first, you know, first opponent of the season. Yeah, we start talking game plans. You know that the season is getting close. Meanwhile, Carolina's first scrimmage is in the rear view mirror. And here's what Coach Longo said about his QBs in relation to that action. Uh, with regards to the quarterbacks, it's the same thing as with the team. We go into the scrimmage really trying to focus on the things that we weren't doing well. So, in effect, we ran a lot of plays that uh, maybe we weren't executing as well as some others in an attempt to polish them up and make those corrections. And so we got a lot accomplished in our first scrimmage, and I think uh, the same holds true for three quarterbacks. So from the first scrimmage to whatever else is lingering down the road, the question posed to Coach Longo is, what's the next step for your quarterbacks after that scrimmage? Well, yeah, of course, you want them to execute the offense. You want them to make good decisions. We want them to grip and rip the football quickly because we don't want to hold that and stress the offensive line. Uh, we want to make good decisions when we're, we're running the ball. And I think our quarterbacks are doing that. This is a very, very intelligent room that I have. I'm very fortunate. All three guys are, are really bright, 
they grasp the offense, they understand it. And I think the ultimately the thing that uh, will separate one from the others will be securing the football and, and it'll be the leadership piece of this whole package. That's uh, Phil Longo, Carolina offensive coordinator on the quarterback race between Cade Fort and Jace Reuter and Sam Howell. Two of those quarterbacks you've probably seen. Howell you may not have, but if you're looking for a description, maybe a comparison uh, about all three of them, uh, here it is in Coach Longo's words. The similarities obviously are how intelligent they are, um, how they manage it. I think right now leadership-wise they're all on the same page. Cade Fort is probably our best pure passer. Okay, if you want me to differentiate, Jace Reuter might be the best overall athlete of the three, and Sam may be the best combination of the two. You know, maybe not as pure a passer as Cade or as much of a runner as Jace, but he can do a little of both. So that's kind of, if you, if you really wanted me to differentiate between three, that's, that's how I would do it. And that's Phil Longo, Carolina's offensive coordinator from earlier this week. We've got to take a quick timeout, but upon our return, we'll talk to as successful a soccer coach as maybe there's ever been in this country. And that's Anson Dorrance, our guest, when we come back. It's our Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. It's our Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Dave Nathan welcoming you back to business at the bottom of hour number two. Just a quick recap of where we've gone so far and where we're going. Halfway through Thursday's broadcast, it all started with talk of the quarterback race ensuing. Cade Fortin, Jace Reuter, and Sam Howell. Phil Longo just told you that he wished that the pecking order would have been a little more shall we say separated at this point from one to the next but Fortin, Reuter, and Howell still all vying for that starting quarterback job over at Carolina in year one of Mac Brown's second stint and again the real games start at the end of the month on the 31st in Charlotte against South Carolina that's a 3:30 kick between the Tar Heels and Gamecocks Carolina's first conference game first home game too by the way the following week against Miami at 8 o'clock before a non-conference game in Winston-Salem against the Demon Deacons. So that's an early primer for what the Carolina football team has coming up with uh, still a couple of weeks left of training camp before that first game gets underway. Eric Montross also talked a little Carolina basketball with us. And uh, he, he likes the composition, I think, of this upcoming team with not only some experienced key returners, but also some graduate transfers and, and of course, some newcomers that could make uh, a real imprint in some people's minds here coming up in 2019, 2020. And while we're talking schedules, Carolina's basketball schedule starts with a true ACC game at the top of the pile in early November against Notre Dame. The Tar Heels will take off to the Bahamas for Thanksgiving with an opening game against Alabama. Then it's either Iowa State or Michigan. It could be anybody else really after that. Uh, Ohio State, UCLA, Wofford also on the schedule for Carolina. So that's what's uh, happening with Carolina basketball here in uh, mid-August. Bubba Cunningham, very excited about the launch of the ACC Network in one week's time. August the 22nd is when the ACC Network will launch. It's been a process that's taken three years, again, going back to Operation Football 2016 when John Swafford addressed the ballroom inside one of the hotels in Uptown Charlotte that the uh, network would launch on this date in 2019 and true to form. Almost everything 
at least it's been known publicly. I mean, who's to say what kind of hiccups or snags there might be behind the scenes? But from three years ago to uh, to right now, it seems like everything has gone off without a hitch for the ACC network, just landing another big cable provider in Spectrum yesterday. And I'm of the belief that there'll be some more dominoes to fall in the next week because uh, time sometimes can be the ultimate negotiating chip. And with time running down, uh, I'm guessing that there's going to be some folks that get on board with the ACC network here again before August the 22nd when it launches. So uh, Bubba Cunningham, very excited about that. Jerry Stackhouse, who you heard from about 15, 20 minutes ago, preparing to enter his first year as the head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores after a two-year stay in Chapel Hill as a player. Had a career in the NBA that spanned over a decade and a half and is now one of the more recent branches of the Coach Smith coaching tree to begin his college career as a coach at Vanderbilt with the Commodores. Phil Longo, again, our last guest who just spoke on the quarterback race. And again, who knows how this thing's going to play out with Fortin Reuter and how. We uh, continue to wait on Anson Dorrance to talk a little Carolina soccer as uh, Carolina women's soccer team starts off here against Indiana next Thursday at 630. And a scrimmage between Carolina and Lyon has been moved to Cary for Friday at 10 a.m. So if you're planning on going to that game, it's in Cary right now uh, at the Wake Med Soccer Complex Friday. That's tomorrow at 10 a.m. So all you college students, wake up early at 10 a.m. to get out there and see the Carolina women take on Lyon in preparation for the opener against Indiana a week from today at 6.30. And Anson Dorrance entering his 43rd year at the University of North Carolina. Graduated from UNC in 1974. Debuted as the men's coach. A lot of people forget about this. Uh, coach Dorrance was with the men beginning in September of 1977 and then uh, picked up responsibilities as uh, not only the head coach, but the founder of the Carolina women's program in September of 1979. So it, it all starts and ends with Anson Dorrance when you talk Carolina women's soccer and there has not been a more successful program in North Carolina and who knows how far you want to go with a statement like that than uh, Carolina women's soccer team having won championship after championship coach Dorrance the first coach in NCAA history to win 20 championships coaching a single sport in uh, 2012 he led the Tar Heels to one of the best college cup uh, championships in history as carolina won its 22nd overall and uh, its 21st ncaa crown the tar heels at 1.192 games in uh, in a row that's just striking what a run of success the carolina women's soccer team has uh, had over the course of time and uh, 92 in a row that culminated in the 1994 NCAA championship might have been the most impressive. Dorrance and the Tar Heels able to rally uh, after arch rival Duke ended a 101-game unbeaten streak by beating Carolina 3-2 in 1994. The loss came 17 days after Notre Dame had snapped a 92-game Carolina winning streak by playing the Tar Heels to a scoreless tie. So 92 wins in a row, not unbeaten, but 92 W's in a row. And Coach Dorrance uh, really not only began the Carolina women's soccer tradition, but also started things off with the Women's World Cup as well. I know we're just a few weeks removed from the U.S. national team winning another championship, but to go all the way back to 1991, the first ever Women's World Cup, Coach Dorrance was at the helm of uh, that program as well. 
And not only was he at the helm of the program for the U.S. women's national team back in 1991, but one of his longtime assistants, Bill Palladino, who just retired after about a 40-year run with Coach Dorrance. Coach Palladino actually coached the women's soccer team to a national title while Coach Dorrance was competing overseas with the women's national team. So the, the ties, they run deep with the Carolina women's soccer team. And uh, Anson Dorrance is as good of a representative as any when it comes to Carolina women's soccer. We hope to make contact with Coach Dorrance at some point before our time concludes here on this Voices of uh, Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Dave Nathan, of course, with you until 3 o'clock as we are just effortlessly weaving our way through hour number two and still with more to get to in our third hour with a couple of interviews with Carolina's last two pitching coaches. You'll hear from the current pitching coach, Bryant Gaines, who's just assumed the role from Robert Woodard, who has moved on for his first head coaching job at Charlotte. Coach Woodard, the winningest uh, baseball pitcher in Carolina baseball history and uh, just a tremendous career and still very young in the process. We'll check in with those two in the first half of our final hour. And then Natrone Means will uh, try to sprinkle in at some point before our time expires as well. Currently on the uh, staff at Winston-Salem State, but played for Carolina back in those early Mac Brown days back in the 80s and 90s before a very successful career in the National Football League. That's Natron Means coming up as well here on our Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. Dave Nathan again in for DG. Take a quick timeout, and again, we will do our best to make contact with Anson Dorrance sometime between now and the top of the hour. And we'll be back after this on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department. And I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Dave Nathan back with you for our annual Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. DG enjoying a little vacation, as he should. When else do you get these opportunities? Dave Nathan enjoying a little broadcast time here on a Thursday as we near the conclusion of our second hour and begin preparations for hour number three. Let's go back to talk a little more Carolina football, shall we, with Natron Means, who was a second-round pick back in the 1993 draft, and the numbers that he compiled at Carolina, as as good as any at uh, that's played the position of running back, had consecutive 1,000-yard seasons and combined to score 24 touchdowns on the ground in his last two years in 1991 and 1992. He finished with a 5.1 average yard per carry and uh, also caught 61 passes for 500 yards and with numbers like that, obviously, you're a pro. And Natron Means was a pro's pro. But when last we spoke, the uh, conversation revolved more around that last year at Carolina with uh, Coach Brown in his first stint in Chapel Hill. You kind of get the sense that that 92 team was the turning point of the Mac Brown era in Carolina football late in the 20th century. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that would be a stretch uh, in making that statement. I think coming um, off of the... Um, two one and tens, uh, Coach Brown. I think those were his first two years there. Um, to um, you know, 
winning, uh, I think, maybe six games my freshman year, um, you know, seven games, seven or so games my sophomore year, and then making it um, to the um, Peach Bowl my junior year. I think that, um, you know, you had a lot of guys who were uh, key contributors to help getting that program turned around and, um, you know, getting, getting headed in the right direction. As the program was sold to you as a high school player going to Chapel Hill, how much of what was explained came true during your playing days? Um, yeah, when, you know, you have to, you know, kind of put yourself in my position. Growing up, I was a, you know, diehard Tar Heel fan. I mean, that was, you know, really, that was that was the only visit that I took. That was, um, that was where I wanted to be. So, you know, the 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 sale pitch to me kind of went in one end, out the other, because realistically, no matter pretty much no matter what happened, um, you know, I was going to be there. I wasn't really, uh, you know, paying a lot to what, uh, you know, Coach Brown was saying in terms of what the program was going to do or how we were going to turn it around. You know, I just know that I wanted to get a chance to come in and play for the team that I had rooted for, um, you know, all of my life and, 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 and hopefully do what I could to uh, uh, make the make the uh, program a better pace. So, you know, in, in, in terms of the recruiting pitch and the sale, man, all that stuff was wasted on me. I was, I was, I was, a, lock, I was, I was a lock day one. That's uh, Natron Means joining us. As we go back to 1992, that was the year that it seemed like everything kind of got over the hump. And as you think back to the schedule, was there a game, a moment, a play that you really felt like was the turning point? Mm. You know, um, 1992, one game, one moment, one play. Um, you know, I, I, I was actually reading something um, this morning that kind of um, went in depth and, you know, in, into that season and kind of how everything played out during that year. I do remember um, you know, tough loss to NC State, um, you know, going down to Florida State. And I thought that, you know, when we were down to Florida State, I really, really thought that we played those guys tough. I think, uh, you know, during that time, uh, margin of victory still played a uh, still played a part in the uh, rankings. I don't know if it was the BCS at that time, but margin of victory still played, still played a factor in, you know, who went on to play for the national championship game. So at the end of that game, I remember Florida State ran in reverse. They were up on us, you know, uh, they they were already up, and I think they had the game, but they ran in reverse to kind of, you know, put 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 a little extra cushion in that. And I remember coming from there, um, you know, really thinking that, you know, we had played those guys tough. You know, we had played those guys tough, and and and, and you know, if we could play those guys tough, that you know, we could play anybody on our schedule tough. And I think we came home after that. I'm not sure exactly what order it was, but it was. I think we beat Virginia. I think we beat Georgia Tech, and you know, from there, kind of things got rolling. But I do remember that Florida State game being a game that, you know, I I, I thought that we had went and you know competed well against a a a, a nationally a nationally ranked program with a uh, with a long history of uh, good football. Florida State was new to the league at that point. When you look at the ACC, do you even recognize some of the teams? <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's 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 you know, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, you know, with you know the likes of Pitt and 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 Virginia Tech and um, you know all these other teams coming in, it was it's 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 grown so much. But I think it's been to the benefit of the league and um, you know all the exposure that um, you know all the schools are getting that 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 has really elevated the uh, football uh, 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 to national recognition. So um, from where it was when I began. Uh, uh, to where it is now, definitely not the same, definitely not the same, but it's definitely a great brand of football. On the subject of tough, I don't know if there was a tougher player than you. Do you coach the way that you played? 
you know, I, uh, yeah, you know, I'd like to think so. You know, I'd like to think so. Uh, you know, it's all about, um, you know, first and foremost, developing character in these guys and just getting them to understand that, you know, if we're going to be good, if we're going to be great, we have to be workers. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have some guys, uh, 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 you know, who've been very talented, who've been willing to, uh, you know, take the coaching and, 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 and put it to work daily. We work hard with one goal in mind, you know, do our best to help our team win. Coach, lastly here, this is as open-ended a question as I'll ever ask. Uh, can you send a message to your old teammates, maybe to Coach Brown, about uh, what you think about them and uh, the times that you guys spent together back in Chapel Hill? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, when I when 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 I think about those guys, man, it's just nothing but great times. I, uh, uh, you know, you're often re reminded that you know, college is you know, college is all about making you a man, and 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 you know, the NFL is about proving you're a man. I was fortunate enough to go through that experience um, with guys that you know I can truly call friends. You know, there are a good group of us who stay in contact daily, and uh, you know, I see a lot of those guys. Uh, uh, um, you know, I see a lot of those guys from time to time. We get together once a year there's about 30 of us we go down to Myrtle Beach and we play golf um, you know it's a bond uh, it's a bond like no other it's lasted you know 20 some odd years man there's a core group of us in Charlotte um, you know who you know who became lifelong friends and that bond started uh, started at Chapel Hill that's Natron Means as good of a back as uh, there's been in Carolina football history, 3,000 career rushing yards, consecutive 1,000-yard seasons in 1991 and 1992, second-round draft pick of the Chargers in 1993, and uh, had a good, solid pro football career. Didn't have a better year than he had back in 1994. That was his second season in San Diego where he rushed for 1,350 yards and was not only a Pro Bowl player in 94, he was an All-Pro. Now, what might be most interesting about those numbers in 1994, 1,350 yards, from the numbers that I'm looking at right here, his longest carry that season was 25 yards. And to me, that just embodies and epitomizes what Natron Means was all about, getting in front of something and knocking it over, okay? 25 yards was the longest carry he had that year in a year where he rushed for 1,350 yards. 12 touchdowns in that season as well for Natron Means, had a couple of seasons with Jacksonville in 96 and 97, then finished his career um, in 1999 back with San Diego. So uh, Natron Means, another Carolina player who has gone on into the coaching ranks. He uh, started at Livingstone College and uh, I believe was an offensive coordinator at West Charlotte in the high school ranks over in Mecklenburg County and uh, is now on the uh, staff at Winston-Salem State. He's been there since 2014. So Natrone Means with us here on our Voices of Carolina edition of the David Glenn Show. That, um, unless some news breaks out between now and 3 o'clock, that should wrap up the football portion of our broadcast here today. Again, that's if nothing else happens here, and as we barrel towards the first week of the season, I'm saying there's a chance we could talk a little more football before our time expires. But uh, Natrone means a little more than 25 years later, still looking back on some good times he had at Carolina. And, uh, again, that 1992 team was uh, the team that really seemed to turn the corner and set Carolina up for a great run of success 
through the 1990s as a Coach Brown had the Tar Heels among the nation's elite in, uh, in 96 and 97 before heading off for Texas. But now Coach Brown back at Carolina. And if you heard Bubba Cunningham speak with us in the first hour, uh, a guy that can work the room and uh, the optimism is contagious over at Carolina as the Tar Heels try to uh, head on that northbound trajectory in the world of college football. And again, it starts at the end of the month in Charlotte against South Carolina, 3.30 kick between the Gamecocks and Tar Heels. Okay, hour number three. We hadn't talked a lot of baseball yet, but we're going to talk some baseball here in about five minutes' time. And for my money, it doesn't get any better than talking pitching with the likes of Bryant Gaines, former Carolina pitcher, spent a few years at Liberty with another former Carolina assistant, that's Scott Jackson, and with Robert Woodard assuming the head coaching role in Charlotte, that opens up the pitching coach position for Coach Gaines. You see where we're going right here. We will not just speak to Coach Gaines because we're going to give equal time to Robert Woodard as well. Despite the fact that Coach Woodard is now at Charlotte, Coach Woodard and I, we had some good times together on the Carolina baseball team, okay? He won a ton as a player. He got all the way up to the AAA ranks before he called it a career and then went through – uh, a few stops in the college ranks, had a chance to get into pro baseball with the Rangers about a year or so ago before staying at Carolina turned out to be his best option. And boy, a year later, doesn't it seem like a great option where you get a chance to go back home. He's a Charlotte native and coach with the 49ers. So it all has a way of working out for the good guys. And uh, Robert Woodard and Brian Gaines, two of the best guys to talk a little Carolina baseball with. And we'll do that here coming up in hour number three. And if there's a chance that Anson Dorrance, I'm beginning to think, Darren, that there's something a little hokey going on with the phones over in Chapel Hill because Eric Montrose had a difficult time getting in touch with us. Something about moving day and dorms going on over in Chapel Hill. My best guess is that Coach Dorrance is over on campus right now. You tell me, Darren, I mean, you, you are the master and commander of the phone lines back there. Is this a one-off here, or is this... I th I'm hoping it's a one-off. Now, yeah. Big E said he was kind of bouncing back and forth and, and was in the midst of college dorms. I know I, I went to school for undergrad back in the sticks, so mm -hmm. cell service was a coin toss anyway. But uh, I know that based on my experience and my frame of reference, cell phone coverage is a little tricky inside the, the cinder block walls of a... A college dormitory so yeah. i don't know we had those rotary phones back when i was in college and of course i spent most of my time in class outside of the dorms so wasn't ever an issue trying to find me back at the house right those that know me know that that's not true on our voices of carolina edition of the david glenn show Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show.